Hey, what up? It's Podcast Rebellion. We are back at it again here in the Davis McCord State Farm Studios. Before I welcome in the co-hosts here, do want to remind you, if you're looking for good neighbor service and a surprisingly great insurance rate, look no further than Davis McCord and State Farm. One-stop shop in Tennessee and Mississippi for the service that you deserve at the price you want. So stop looking around. Call Davis, and he will help you get the price and the insurance rate that you want. 901-755-6110. Call him like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. Gentlemen, we uh, we put the team on the spot last week. We told him that it was uh, it was a pressure cooker. It was um, you got to respond. And uh, I would say uh, after uh, an abysmal midweek showing uh the baseball team uh they called our bluff and uh swept auburn so ben nick welcome in um you guys uh i think you were both uh in attendance at least for one or two of the games um but either way you were in closer proximity than i was what did uh what did we think of the sweep of auburn you know i was there saturday and sunday and good energy in the stadium big crowds um a fun time it you know we we talked about not to rehash too much of what we said last week but it was just that was the the right medicine for uh the loss to louisiana tech you come home you sweep auburn start off three and over the first time and how long i can't remember what i read it was something uh, 20, a lot longer than I, 2004 a lot longer than i expected given how good the program is and uh you've got another opportunity this weekend you know, absolutely. And, yeah. And and if you can get way out ahead, you know, five and one, six and zero. Oh, now suddenly you're talking about okay, we just need to to grab some wins here and there to ensure that we get a top eight seed. Well, if you look at the the, the SEC schedule after the Alabama series, it's pretty brutal. So the more you kind of rack up wins here, the more you know a five hundred or even like a. I think there's MSU, Florida, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas in a row. And so, you know, I mean, heck, if you if you go five and seven over those 12, if you start five and one, I mean, you're still looking at, you know, like 10 and eight through 18 games would be a great record. So, you know, we did, we beat Auburn last week. We kind of did it with separate things. I mean, if y'all recall, we won one nothing on Friday, which is like, you know, extremely rare in the sec to do something like that and then we came back on sunday and scored what 19 runs 18 runs so we kind of did it with different stuff i mean the offense left a a ton to be desired on friday night just popping the ball up left and right all night but you know i mean they hung in there hoagland gave you pretty much as good of a regular season start i mean as i recall i mean that i i was talking with a friend and i mean we thought back on Will Klein start against MSU back in the the old Mayor's Trophy back in when they played it at Smith Wills I and mean, that was it was that good from a regular season standpoint. So it was good to kind of to see some different stuff. And I mean, you know, obviously seeing Hoagland like that was great. Yeah, it was uh, it was as good of an SEC debut as uh, as I think that uh, Hoagland. Could, uh, could want and uh, look I think uh, probably have a shot at national pitcher of the week if uh, Mr. Leiter and uh, 
Kumar Rocker don't exist because it was uh, mm-hmm. it was almost as if those two guys were like, all right, I, I, I see Gunner, I'll uh, I'll raise you. Um, Gunner strikes out thirteen, goes eight innings. Um, I, look, I, I watched it. I, ben, I think you weren't there, but I think we all three watched the game, and Auburn was not even close. Um, I mean, Hoagland was about as good as we've seen him in an almost uniform. Um, I mean, working inside out of the strike zone, mixing pitches and counts, speed. The fastball was showing tremendous life in the eighth inning still. Um he was he was working every pitch he had in his bag, and um, yeah, I mean I think if Jack Leiter doesn't throw a no hitter, he's probably the uh, national pitcher of the week. But um, so you start out with that, you get a uh, huge pinch hit home run from uh, Calvin Harris, and then you win there. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday, uh, Drew McDaniel, a guy that's kind of overshadowed. And look, I mean, it's hard to not be overshadowed by Gunnar Hoagland and Derek Diamond when you're sandwiched in between um, filling in for Doug Nikhazy, who is reportedly going to be back for Alabama. But I think Drew McDaniel is kind of showing a lot of the uh, a lot of the hype that was built around him in the uh, in the fall and the spring. Uh, I think he is in line to be a weekend starter next season. But um, but he was he was he was great as well um, on Saturday. Almost wins, and then Derek Diamond easily the best that he's looked since uh the um the state farm classic in texas uh was touching 97 early the uh the slider was ridiculous um in that game and uh i can't remember what do you do six innings six innings and maybe six k's i had the box right in front of me yeah i mean he was he was he was lights out, and I mean the offense showed up. Like you said, Nick, they scored 19 runs. That's kind of what your kind of classic Sunday SEC game kind of turns into is just kind of a who's got the bats because the arms are typically out by then uh, with a Sunday last game of the uh, series. But um, you look at the standings, Ole Miss atop the SEC West right now. After the sweep, 3-0, 17-4 overall. Arkansas and State holding steady in second, 2-1 and one, um, in the conference. Um, LSU's been sliding. Uh, they, they lose two out of three to Mississippi State over the weekend. Uh, Mississippi State, who's got um, one of the better collective units uh, of arms. Their team ERA, I believe, is either tops in the country or maybe second uh, in team ERA. And then um, Ole Miss is traveling to Tuscaloosa to take on the uh, third-place team in the West that's tied with LSU, Alabama, 1-2 and two in the SEC, 15-6 and six overall, uh, a team that just lost a midweek game to Southern Miss. So, like y'all said, another opportunity to, uh, to stack some wins. And as Nick alluded to, the schedule is not very forgiving after this weekend, so you really need to steal two. Yeah, real quick as an aside, I mean, obviously, we know Leiter and, and Kumar Rock are going to be gone this year to the draft. Um, what is – I mean, what's Hoagland's ceiling? I mean, to me, what he did Friday night was, like, what you want out of a pro pitcher. I mean, he – I mean, he was commanding everything. He was – I mean, they, he's, they a weak, he's a pro. He's a starter in the bigs. Yeah. He but is. Like, okay, so, but what's his ceiling from a draft 
perspective. Are we talking top fifteen? Are we talking top ten? Probably Are we first yeah. round. At least top I'm thinking, twenty. I'm thinking safely in the top twenty, probably top fifteen, and depending on the rest of the year, top ten. I mean, frankly, yeah. he lives around the plate. He's smooth. Yeah. It does not look like he's ever, knock on wood, going to have arm issues because right. it looks effortless for him. And, and he if, doesn't walk, guys. I think that's one of the big things that, that kind of gets overlooked with pro, you know, big-time pro guys is they their command is, is you know, plus, plus. And they don't walk, guys. You can't give up free passes in the bigs. And I, I feel like that's, you know – like you said, he's, he's around the plate at all times. He walked a guy Friday on a strike. Like, he yeah, like looked, yeah. it was a the umpire called ball four, and he looked back at the plate like, what? You know, he I think he was ready to, you know, walk around the mound as they threw it around. And so, you know, it was the rare walk, but um, he's just so good. He's, he's becoming one of my favorite weekend starters of the Bianco mm-hmm. era. I mean, he's just very good. I, I try to think when, did, where did Rollison go in the draft? He was a first round. Twenty-two. Rounder, yeah, and twenty-two, and, and I did. I think Hoagland so is freaking better. Yeah, and and, and Rollison was a great pitcher. That's not anything to disparage him. It's just the simple fact that Hoagland is so much more like polished. I guess I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's just hard to explain, man. You can tell he was a first rounder, whatever they call it, out of high school, thirty fifth pick, whatever that is. Sandwich guy. Yeah. They talk about you know he he didn't walk guys, but I think there was some consternation about moving him to Friday because people liked McKay in that role, but and Hoagland's an SE. He looks, and maybe that's what I'm drawn to. Maybe I'm I'm focusing too much on how you look, but he looks like an SEC Friday guy, and he carries himself like an SEC Friday guy. He just he seems so unbothered by it, and that to me is a big like you know I mean not that you can't fist bump on Friday nights, but your Friday pitcher is the guy who's just who's just smooth. He doesn't have to fist bump because he's got the stuff, and he he knows he's getting the outs. He, he's not you know no offense to Taylor Broadway, but Taylor Broadway's kind of pitches on emotion more. He's not your Taylor Broadway who comes out there and has to, you know, kind of amp himself up to throw it by you. He just he goes out there and he's he's smooth about it. Well, this is a team that I guess after Texas there were some lumps offensively. We were questioning how good this team was at hitting the baseball, and we're only 21 games in. Uh, I think the team has responded uh, very early on. The team batting average was, you know, 240, 250. It wasn't great. Um, heading into this weekend against Alabama, the team is hitting 281. Um, 27 home runs as a team. You've got Tim Elko leading the way with eight. Uh, the, the leading batting average on the team right now is Kevin Graham at 377. Um after him, everybody's kind of in a cluster. You've got Peyton Chatnier, who's back in there hitting 342. Hayden Dunhurst, who is just doing himself all the favors and making lots of money. He's hitting 339. Tim Elko right behind him, 338. And then you've got Jacob Gonzalez at 296, which is, I mean, that's all you can ask for from a true freshman playing shortstop in the SEC. Justin Bench at 286. A little bit of surprise here. Because I was a little skeptical. I wasn't sure how he'd respond playing so early. Because I didn't think... He probably, if he was being honest, would say he didn't think he'd have a big role in this team. 
but with the injury to uh, Peyton Chatagnier and just kind of some uncertainty at some positions, TJ McCants has stepped in and has played really well. Um, he's played a little bit of everywhere in the field. He's hitting 278. Um, he's had he's got the one home run, slugging 444, and his on base is 409. Um, I mean, for a true freshman who is just kind of playing a little bit of everywhere because they really don't have a ton of outfielders, and um, he's kind of going from second to center. Um, pretty good stuff to see from a true freshman because you look at the lineup and kind of the everyday players and you know i guess kevin graham's the only guy or i guess him and elko the only guy with sec experience so it's nice to see some guys like peyton chatagnay hayden dunhurst mccants and bench to uh have some really good quality ab's in an sec series you know, the, the thing about McCants is a lot of his damage has come on the weekend. You know, he's yeah. he's had some pretty, pretty, I don't want to say ugly at bats, but he had some tough ones last night and, or I guess in the midweek game, I don't know when this is going to post. Um, but they, you know, I like McCants a lot. I think he, uh, he is, he has such a high ceiling and frankly, he's already very polished you know, they inserted him into the outfield and he immediately looked like our best outfielder. Oh, and yeah. they put him on the infield and he looks like the smoothest infielder. And he's, you know, tall left handed hitter. I mean, he's got a lot. He is a long baseball career ahead of him. And a lot of these guys do. Uh, what I want to mention besides that, that we have not given enough credit to Kevin Graham is an elite hitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is elite. And, I mean, his numbers are very good. And he, he always finds himself in the middle of the lineup. And we never talk about him because nothing he's going to do is super flashy. He's like a very unassuming player. And he just gets in there and, and rips it. And, you know, eventually he's just going to – we'll look up and he's going to be a first-team All-SEC player. Yeah, and I'm just looking at his numbers too. I think, you know, we kind of – you know, Elko hits the ball far, and, and McCants, honestly, was hitting the ball well. He had some doubles. He had a home run this past weekend. But Graham had Graham had six hits on the weekend. Only one was extra base hit. So that tells me he was just kind of taking what the pitcher was giving him. I mean, of course, you know, every time you step to the plate, you'd love to have a home run or a double. But he was up there slapping singles. And, I mean, I think at one point on Friday night we had two hits, and – we had hit three base runners was what it was. And he was, he had a walk and a hit. So, I mean, he, he's just getting on base by any method possible. And so, you know, Hey, if he's slapping singles, that's fine. I mean, he's, you know, just being on base when you've got guys like, you know, Tim Elko or TJ McCants right behind you is, or Hayden Dunhurst is, as well as he's hitting. I mean, that's, that's big. So didn't Graham, Graham hit a single off the wall? Was that yeah, Graham? He hit a 374.8 foot single. I don't know how yeah. that happened. Yeah. I think him and Ben Van Cleve did that this weekend. I mean, it, that ball was hit probably 100 miles an hour off the bat, if not more. Looking at the uh, looking at the pitching staff, um, we've buried the lead here, but uh, Gunnar Hoagland leads the nation in strikeouts. Um, and I know we're, we're not even into April, but this is just silly. Uh, Hoagland has pitched 31 and two-thirds innings, and he has 55 strikeouts. Mm. I mean, that's stupid. 
Um, that shows longevity in games too. Yeah, not I mean, only does it, I mean that shows he goes deep into the into the game. And I swear with him, McDaniel did it. I think a couple times this season. I feel like Hoagland and Diamond do it a lot, where they either give up a single or they walk a guy, and then they strike out the side. To where it's like they're seeing four or five batters in inning, but they're still striking out the side. Um, Diamond, not nearly as many Ks as Hoagland, obviously, but 29 and 25 innings pitched. His ERA is is under four now, but I mean, it was I think it was like five and a half going into that that game against Auburn. So he's he's starting to show some of that potential and that you know weekend stuff that he showed in Texas. Um, playing in that state farm classic uh but but look i mean the bullpen has been pretty solid i mean you've got tyler myers five appearances he's pitched eight and a third his era is 1.08 west burton everybody's favorite psycho 1.80 era um mcdaniel and hoagland the two starters are under two and a half um Austin Miller, who it's kind of an adventure with him. You kind of don't really know what he's going to give you, but he's still under three. And then um, Taylor Broadway. I mean, he's taken on the role as starter or as closer, I should say, Scar- uh, excuse me, um, after Parker Caracy held that role for a couple years. Um, four saves in uh, eight appearances, 18 strikeouts, and 13 innings pitched. So uh, as far as the weekend goes, uh, I think Bianco and Carl Lafferty have kind of found their guys and who they have. Um, Jackson Kimbrell's kind of that Swiss Army knife. They kind of use him kind of wherever they need him. Uh, he's been really solid, under three ERA, 18 Ks, and 12 and a third. So um, the bat, uh, I said the hitting is starting to improve. They're close to 300 as a team um, with guys like Elko and Kevin Graham leading the way as kind of the veterans. I think that this team is starting to slowly show some some real promise. I don't really – Ben, you can take this and run with it when I'm done here with this long-winded rant, but you said it, and I didn't disagree – I don't know if this is a top five team right now, but I can see in bits and pieces that I think that this team can be a top five team in late May and June. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, I've, what can that, this isn't concerning to me, but what I guess gives me pause at it is. Well, I don't want to. I was going to say Ole Miss does nothing elite, but that's not true. Ole Miss pitches very elite, especially on the weekend. So, you know, anytime you've got a, a guy on Friday who's going to give you a chance to win, no matter who you're playing, and it's just going to take a few big hits to uh, to win that Friday game, you know, you're you're starting out ahead in the in the SEC. I think that I think that the next. I guess probably three weeks will kind of tell us who Ole Miss is a little bit better um, because, you know, if Ole Miss can can come through and, and beat Alabama, let's say two out of three and get to five and one and then find some wins over the next couple of weeks, I you know, I think 
I think there's a there's not a big difference between in baseball at least between number six and number three, or maybe yeah. even number three and number nine. I mean, it's not like basketball, whereas there there's could be one team that like Gonzaga that you know may not lose or have a game within ten points of them. So, I you know I think that that Ole Miss being a top five, us calling them a top five team or a top 10 team. This is not to undermine what you were saying, because I don't disagree, but, you know, calling them a top five or top 10 team is pretty much the same thing right now. Yeah. Well, and and we saw those teams out in Texas. I mean, Texas Tech's back and ranked in the top 10 right now. I I thought they looked like the best team from Texas in that tournament. Oh, I did. And they went 0-3. Yeah, and but but they're back. At, I think they're at seven now. So my my point is like, you know, if if Ole Miss is not an elite team and doesn't do anything elite, then who does anything elite? If that make you know what I mean? Okay, Vanderbilt has an elite weekend rotation, sure. But past that, I mean, you know, if, if you can't say Ole Miss's weekend rotation is also rather elite, I'm just not sure what is elite. I mean, I don't think that you know. I, I, Arkansas's hitting maybe is elite. Um, certainly, nothing LSU has is elite. I think Florida's pitching is pretty good, um, but you know Vanderbilt's got some deficiencies. They don't crush the ball exactly, but I, but, but back on this weekend, kind of um, the fact that we're not having to face Connor Prelip from Alabama is is a really big you know, break for us in, in terms of not having to face you know one of the best pitchers, definitely the best Friday night guy, I think after, you know, definitely after Hoagland and after the, the, the two Vanderbilt guys, I mean, he is, he is very, very good. Not having to face him is a big deal. And, you know, over a 30 game season, you know, that one extra game that you get. So I, I think the Alabama series is one you, I mean, you really, I hate to see you guys a sweep series on the road, but you know, anything less than two out of three, certainly it would be disappointing. So real quick, uh, before we take our break and, um, talk about uh the transfer portal with basketball on the other side i do want to remind you um 20 years ago today as we were recording this wednesday evening was when uh randy johnson uh threw a pitch that uh destroyed a uh smoked the bird (laughs) smoked a uh a robot that was incoming trying to uh it was a flying camera trying to uh yeah doing some surveillance um i mean we all know birds aren't real um but we want to talk about you know a k uh k to inning ratio um i I was talking to some some friends the other day or uh, earlier today i should say about what could have been but uh before he was drafted out of high school so in high school randy johnson struck out as a senior he struck out 121 batters in 66 innings um a perfect game in his last high school start did y'all know after high school in the 82 draft randy johnson was drafted in the fourth round by none other than the atlanta braves i did not know that really they offered him no idea offered him 50k to sign and he obviously opted to go to southern cal played there with mark mcguire um, and then eventually, you know, drafted by the Expos, went to the Mariners, the rest is history. But can you imagine Randy Johnson, you know, mid-80s, getting into the 90s with how long he was able to play if he was on, you know, those 90s Braves teams with that, with that pitching? 
I mean, they would have gone undefeated. I mean, <laughs> so many close calls with World Series. And I, if Randy Johnson's on that staff, it's a wrap. I mean, they're winning at least two or three more World Series, if that. I mean, just, oh, I uh, I was reminded of that earlier, and I was like, oh, I totally forgot about that. But, um, so but you're yeah. saying that, a team with four Cy Young winners is better than a team <laughs> with three Cy Young winners? <laughs> Yeah, I'm saying. Uh, yeah, um, I don't think. Speaking uh, of, those I don't think Braves Joe teams, Carter, Tom Glavine's son pitched against that's right. the Cubs. He did. He did. Um, another Cy Young guy is a pitching coach for the Auburn Tigers. He was in town. Yeah, um, Tim Hudson. Yeah, old Tim. Um, all right, we're gonna take our take our break real quick. Uh, when we come back, brief little conversation about the transfer portal and uh, what's uh, what's heating up for uh, Kermit Davis as he tries to rectify what happened this season. So hang tight. We'll be right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments, part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now, and you've got your lunch specials. 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something. The place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in taylor mississippi and be sure to follow them on instagram for all their latest updates and uh comings and goings there at wonderbird speaking of libations if you're in memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year old dominic on south front street is your place to go just like wonderbird you can go there for a tasting for a tour or both and be sure to check out the rooftop bar which is super awesome has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. 
So celebrate with that Hewling Station bourbon, a very small batch high rye bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, and just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Hewling Station stands alone in its category of high rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Hewling Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Hewling Station by Old Dominic. And, as always, OD encourages you to share a sip responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And we're back here on Podcast Rebellion. All right, baseball. Before we before we forget to mention, the series does start on Thursday. I think the game on Thursday is what ESPNU possibly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So national television for uh, the first game. I don't know that we're gonna have a good great chance of playing that game on Thursday. It, it yeah it seems weather. like we might yeah. So that'll be a logistics nightmare trying to get three games in, but uh, we're gonna try. Um, but all right, so transfer portal's heating up. Um, it's not just football. The transfer portal is just running rampant in college basketball. Kids are uh, jumping in left and right. But there was a big one that went official on Wednesday afternoon. Um, Jamin Brakefield uh, of one Huntington Prep in West Virginia was really, really close to signing with Ole Miss and uh was that 2019 or 2020 um obviously opted to go to duke um he has officially gotten his release from the blue devils and coach mike shashevsky he is now in the portal most believe that he is bound for ole miss i think michigan is in it as well but uh most people think that he is going to return to his home state of Mississippi and play for the Rebels. Um, wh- what do we think here? I-, I know that there's obviously other pieces that need to be added, but uh, somebody like Jamin Brakefield being added to this Ole Miss team, just lost K.J. Buffin, Romello White's gone, um, other guys have jumped in the portal. How big of a factor or how big of an impact would this be for this team? I mean, I, it, it, I think it's obviously massive, and I think, too, it would be big for, you know, maybe the, the upcoming class to say, hey, you know, a guy like Jamin Brakefield's here. I mean, who, who else does he know kind of on the circuit? I mean, I know we're in on Brandon Huntley-Hartfield. I mean, you know, how, are they close friends? I mean, who – it's not just Jamin Brakefield, but, you know, obviously what he can do for the 21-22 team, but 
what he could kind of do for recruiting to say that Ole Miss can get those type of guys. Because, yeah, we didn't get him out of high school, but we still got him. So, I mean, I, I, I think that that, you know, bringing a guy like that in, didn't play a ton at Duke, but, I mean, he's playing behind some – we talked about that before. He's playing behind some pretty good players over there. So, I mean, I think I think he's going to walk in and be a top two player on the team next year. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Will he be the highest-ranked recruit on the team other than Ruffin? No, yeah. he'll be higher than Ruffin. Yeah. Oh, he was a higher ranked. I didn't know that. Yeah. Is he higher than? Uh, is he higher than Morrell? Um, checking like it. Checking it 13? now. Morrell. Uh, Morrell was higher. Brakefield was forty-four uh, overall. Uh, my, my fault. Morrell, I think, was thirty-six. Um, scrolling. I want to say Brakefield took a pretty big fall. Yeah, right before the close. But you talk about Morrell a- next year; it's going to take a step. Breakfield obviously will have to take a step, and then Ruffin. I mean, that's a that's a good core. It's a, it's a really good, guard good core room for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you look at what, yeah, that core would be. I mean, Ruffin was, um, ended up being sixty four overall. Uh, was a McDonald's All American. Um, before him in that class in 2020, uh, Matthew Morrell was 41st overall. So he's barely ahead of Brakefield, who was at 44. So that's three, you know, top 100 guys that you can build a team around. And Nick, you said it before we started. I mean, I guess he's going to have four to play four. Um, was Brakefield going to be a McDonald's All American before COVID? No, he, pl- they, he played they, in the Jordan Brand Classic. They had the McDonald's All American list I come out before COVID happened. He he was he was Jordan Brand. He was not um, he was not a McDonald's All American. But I mean, he's, he, right there. I mean, like I said, the guy went to Duke. I mean, there. How many guys right. could? that were at Duke this year could play at Ole Miss, probably like 13 or 14. Yeah. Well, I mean, if there are 15 on the roster, then 15 could play at Ole Miss. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that this is a humongous development for Kermit Davis, who is, you know, such a disappointing season. You you had Romello White, who is arguably the best, you know, power forward center in the portal. You get him. He was tremendous for Ole Miss. He broke the record for field goal percentage for a season, um, but you just couldn't put it together. Devontae Shuler was kind of up and down. Uh, I think the team was really derailed early on with COVID. They didn't really have a chance to really mesh, but they just lost a ton of bad games. You lost two to Georgia. You lose the late one to Vandy when Vandy didn't even have their two best players. Um, And then they just didn't play well in the non-con. They lost to a really bad Dayton team. Uh, had a chance to beat Wichita State, who was just kind of okay. Couldn't get that done. Um, look, I mean, I tell me if I'm wrong here or tell me if you disagree. I, I think Kermit Davis's feet are to the fire in 2021 and 2022. I think it's – I would say it's tournament or bust. Um, you look at what other – you know, newer coaches are doing in the conference. Nate Oates 
Um, Sweet 16 probably has a chance to go really deep, make a Final Four run. Um, Eric Musselman in year two, Arkansas Sweet 16. I mean, they could easily make it to the Elite Eight Final Four with how good they are. I run out of excuses at this point for Kermit Davis. And look, Jamin Brayfield would be a hell of a start to get this team back on track to uh, start competing next season. Yeah, there's there's no doubt though that they've got to bring in someone to replace White's production. I mean, obviously, I think you're going to get some. You know, Luis Rodriguez plays, I guess, more of you know a, a wing, but you're going to have to go out and find a center. And I think that with with you know C entering the portal, I think that they have an idea of who they're getting as a center. I don't I don't know that. I don't have any insight into it. But I don't think they told him to look around if they didn't have some sort of, you know, pretty good clue as to what they were going for. But but it's got to be someone good. I mean, it really does. And, you know, I, I said it before the podcast, too. It'd be nice if it was a guy that, you know, unlike Mel White, that had more than one year to play. Because, you know, it's great to get a guy for a year. I mean, I would sign up for Romello White every single year. But think about what Romello White could have done if he came here as a junior. You know what I mean? If you had him for two years to kind of really get going in the program. Because, I mean, it's tough to walk into a program and, you know, be, be expected to be counted on day one. Even if you've done that, you know, for other Power 5 teams, it's, you know, it's tough to gel that quickly. So, you know, if they could go out and get a guy who, you know, maybe was a junior or something like that, would I think would really go a long way. All right. Last thing here. Sweet 16 is set. I'm not going to ask you about your bracket because I'm sure it's busted like everyone else's. Um, what stands out about this Sweet 16? How are you? Uh, how are y'all feeling about either your picks or you know, kind of who do you think is uh, left standing after this weekend heading into the Elite Eight? Well, let me let me go through the bracket right quick. Sorry. I'll say this while you're looking. I think Gonzaga really showed a lot of muscle in that Oklahoma game. Oklahoma gave them everything they had, and I, they just coasted to a 16-point win. Um, Baylor's honestly just been kind of an afterthought over there in the South. They've just been cruising. I I, I think that they're on a crash course. Um, and then, look, I'm at, the compelling story down the you know the other end of the bracket, I, I think the Michigan Alabama matchup that's potentially going to happen is um is a good one. But I'll say this: don't sleep on Leonard Hamilton and the Seminoles. I think they are going to give Jawan Howard and the Wolverines all that they yeah. want. Yeah, I like uh, Michigan, especially in the in the post they've got some size that I think is going to give Florida state and then give Alabama some significant issues. Speaking of that, you know, I, call me crazy. I, I like Oregon state to beat Loyola, Chicago. Oh my goodness. Whoa. No. Whoa. Call what me do you crazy. have against sister Jean? <laughs> nothing, nothing. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm going to pull for Loyola, but I just, you know, no, Oregon State looked good. They had some shooters. Yeah, they do. And they got a seven footer down low. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's a tough matchup. 
I mean, it is. It'll I be, think Loyola's center is 6'9", and Oregon State's is like 7'3". I mean, that guy's huge. Number one defensive team in the country, though, Ben. Loyola, Loyola puts the clamps down on you, and they have religion on their side. True. Um, People forget that. You know, but I I don't know. I like – I. I'm going to pull, I think, I'm going to pull for Syracuse. But I have Houston mm. in the lead eight in my bracket. Only because they, they feel like an underdog, even though Syracuse, really Houston's more of an underdog than Syracuse historically. Mm-hmm. Um, Gonzaga's going to beat Creighton. I don't, I don't know anything about USC and Oregon. I would, I would take Gonzaga, Michigan, Alabama, Baylor, Arkansas, Oregon State, and Syracuse. And I don't know about the USC Oregon game. All right, so just just running through real quick down down there in the the East. I think, man, I think we're destined for Alabama Michigan, which I is a too. great a great football matchup. Uh, I think South we're destined for Baylor Arkansas. I mean, you know, Oral Roberts is a great story, but they don't have enough to beat Baylor. I mean, to beat Arkansas at this point. Um, I mean, I think Loyola. I almost wanted to pick them to beat Illinois in the second round. I thought Illinois was playing too well, but I mean Loyola is a good basketball team. They're you know I think they're seventh right now in Ken Palm. I'd probably put them all the way to the Final Four from there. And then I, I mean I do think Gonzaga is going to come out of the West. I mean I think they're the best team in the country. They're twenty five and zero and twenty four wins or by ten or more points. But that USC team right there, you, you said you hadn't watched them, Ben. You need to this weekend because they are really good. I mean Evan Mobley. You know, everyone knows he's he's a top three pick, seven footer, but I think they're the tallest average height by like you know time spent on the floor according to to Ken Palm, left in the dance. I mean, it's a really really long USC team, and I don't think they're going to beat Gonzaga, but I think they're going to give them some trouble. You have them beating Oregon? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know that Oregon team was good too. I mean, I think that those. Three That'll, teams, maybe three of the top. Uh, there's some good teams left. I mean, that Bama team, when they're playing good, is, I mean, heck, they might be the best team in the country. Ben and I talked about that the other night. When they're playing tops, they are so good. But, yeah, Oregon, Oregon is a good game. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember Oregon, you know, got a pass in the first round with COVID. So they're a little bit more rested. Um, man, I hard to pick against Dana Altman and having those wings. Um, the way that they were able to just surgically pick apart Iowa, and they took Luca Garza's best shot. I mean, the dude had 36 in that game, and they still beat him by 15. Um, and it, all Pac-12 Sweet 16 matchup will be fun. That that Southern Cal team absolutely embarrassed Kansas in that game. That was, I mean, just ungod. I beat him by 34. Um. I'm with you, though. I think Baylor beats Villanova. I don't think Villanova has the firepower to hang. I think the Oral Roberts story ends against Arkansas. They're too good. Gonzaga. I got Oregon upsetting. I guess you could say, quote, upsetting Southern Cal because how good they're playing. Um, I'm going to go Knowles to up to upset Michigan, face Alabama. I think Alabama wins that one. And then I'm going to go Loyola against Houston, and then at that point, man, that's a that's a fun one. If you get Loyola against Houston in the Elite Eight with how good Loyola is defensively going against that Houston team, it's just so, so strong. 
across the board in that top in their starting five, and then with Kelvin Sampson, they they squeaked by Rutgers, but that Houston team was just an absolute machine betting wise all year long. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we we've got some some really good potential lead eight matchups. So I'm I, not... I think Loyola can beat Syracuse. I don't think Loyola can beat Houston. Yeah, that's. I think that's probably true. Houston is way too athletic for Loyola. Yeah. I mean, they are, and that's not. That's not. There's not nothing. No underlying, you know, deal there. Houston is just like freakishly athletic. They're five slam pajama. But what coach would you say is definitively better than Porter Moser at this point? I would probably only oh. say Mark Few. Yeah, probably. Probably. So I mean, I think that that's a you know. Is Kelvin Sampson Houston's coach? Yeah, yeah. Who's, who's a good coach? I mean, he's a legendary coach. He's been around for a long time. Was you know, coach Blake Griffin at Oklahoma. But uh, Moser's. No, I don't know. I, if you look at the if you look at the lineup, I mean, we we could be set up for some really good elite eight matchups. Like, if you tell me I'm going to get to see Oregon or USC versus Gonzaga, and I'm going to mm-hmm. get to see. You know, Rob, get let's run just off call it Gonzaga. Do what? Do what? Gonzaga's going to run either one of those teams off the floor. No, I hope so. I would love nothing more. To, but, that, you know, I don't, all those matchups could be good. I don't think that a team is going to play Gonzaga close in this tournament. Like a I la think, Villanova 18? Yeah, I think they're just going to run through it. I think Alabama's the only team that can hang with them. Yeah, that's yeah, if that, Alabama shoots that, That's what worries well. me. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited. This weekend's going to be fun. I think uh, I, I, it's almost kind of like regardless of who wins, I think the Elite Eight is going to be a lot of fun regardless. I do, too. Yeah, I do, too. This is, which, which makes yeah, it all fun. Hard, if, if, I, I, go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, if Alabama wins another national title, though, I might be done with sports. <laughs> you know, what, what I was, you know, and then they, like, beat Arkansas 70 to nothing in baseball the other night. I was like, oh, here we go again, Mike. You know, trifecta. No, but we have. I, I did a bracket, and one of them that I picked was almost straight chalk. Like I always do that, and it's like in the thirtieth percentile because of all like the eight, twelve seeds in this that have made it to the Sweet Sixteen. I mean, we have a six-seven matchup, an eight-twelve. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that is three fifteen. So that is so rare. Two, you got two eleven-two matchups. UCLA still hanging around. Um, you know, UCLA was in a playing game. Yeah. Yeah. You don't typically lose two uh, number one seeds in the first weekend. I mean, you know, oftentimes you'll lose one, but losing two, having having multiple eight seeds here in the second round, or the I guess the Sweet 16 is really, was, you know. Before we leave, was the Big Ten overrated and Illinois was just over-respected? Um. I think the Big Ten was overrated, but I don't. I think Illinois just kind of ran into a buzzsaw. It was a bad matchup. I mean, I think Illinois was that good because I think we're seeing it with Michigan. I mean, you know, the Big Ten was overrated, but Michigan wasn't. So I think it, you know, Illinois was that good I mean, that it's just a bad matchup. I mean, the, the counter to that though is they ran into an eight seed buzz buzzsaw. Yeah. Yeah, but. I mean, but if you look at those advanced metrics, it's more like a four seed buzzsaw. You know, there was, a, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I mentioned it to y'all about how poorly Loyola was seeded. I mean, that was, 
they're I think they're seventh in Ken Palm. They were sixteenth in strength of record. Their you know their net was like fourteen. I mean that's a that's a four to five seed that they ran into. And I think if they had a four seed next to their name or a five seed and they were Villanova beat up on Illinois, I don't think anybody would be saying, oh, you know, was Illinois overrated because they lost to a five seed. It's just that that eight kind of throws everything for a loop. I'll say this, Ben. I don't think the Big Ten was overrated. I think it's just March. It is? This is March. That's what, in case you didn't know. know, Yeah. I mean, when the SEC goes four and eight in bowl games this year or whatever, five and seven, everybody's going to be like, man, SEC sucked this year. They're just going to say, this is December. No, no one is like the eighth SEC team plays like the second team in the Big 12 in a bowl game. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's what I always found funny is like Ole Miss would be like the fourth or fifth SEC team going to the Cotton Bowl playing runner-up Oklahoma State of the Big 12. What a time. What a time um, to be alive. Well, all right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for uh, for Podcast Rebellion. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, remember, baseball starts early this week if the weather uh, permits. Uh, Thursday, ESPNU against Alabama. Sweet 16 this weekend, uh, I would say uh, keep your ear to the ground. Keep the ears perked up this weekend. Might be some transfer portal stuff popping off for basketball. But, uh, again, thanks to our uh, title sponsor, Davis McCord State Farm, for uh, putting us in this uh, lovely studio. Thanks to Nick. Thanks to Ben for joining. And, uh, again, thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. So, uh, until next time, this has been Podcast Rebellion. Thank you for listening. We out.